Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. This is Matt Walters here with Mike Frost and David Lee and today we're going to talk, be talking about investing during uncertain times or during times of uncertainty. Mike, David, how are you guys doing today? Man, I'm doing great. Just had a great Memorial Day weekend and looking forward to a great start of the summer. Same here, Matt, and this is a very timely topic for us to be discussing today. Yeah, I thought it, I thought you know the shoe fit right with everything that's been going on. Talking about um, you know there's been a lot of anxiety and, and nerve nervousness or whatever you want to call it out there with uh, you know people who are investing, people who have money in the market, and just everything, all of the uncertain times that we're living through right now. So thought this would be a great topic to discuss, and we're primarily going to be talking about. Um, Kind of the, I guess, the traditional solution for investing during uncertain times. And what I mean by that is uh, the modern portfolio theory. And what you mean is what people get everywhere else, not at Mach 1. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So the kind of the traditional solution that you might see if you just go down the street, visit with an advisor that has a very kind of black and white approach um, and just follows kind of the, the rule of thumb that's taught, you know, in the school systems and, and in the books. It's what I was taught in school. David and I were talking about this earlier. He actually asked me, you know, what were you talked about, taught about modern portfolio theory and is it what you studied? And it absolutely was. I mean, it was by the book. I just wanted to see how wrong your education was. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's always depressing when I think about it. But, uh, so that's what we're going to focus on today, modern portfolio theory, investing during uncertain times, and you know what are the good and bad part components of, of modern portfolio theory, and are there alternatives? Are there other ways to look at investing? So let's start with a definition. I'm going to give us a quick definition, um, high level of what modern portfolio theory is. So it's a theory on how risk-averse investors can construct portfolios to optimize or maximize expected returns based on a given level of market risk, emphasizing that risk is an inherent part of higher reward. So, Matt, what in the world did you just say? Yeah, I, I looked up a sentence that was going to make me sound really smart. So that to, to summarize, it's, it's essentially looking at how can we diversify into various asset classes to achieve the desired level rate of return that we want while keeping our risk in check. Um, so where did it come from? So Harry Markowitz actually kind of uncovered and came up with this theory back in the 1950s. Um, and it's, it's, it's surprising how well it's stuck. I mean, to this day, there are people who preach and teach and hold to the modern portfolio theory. And if you think just, um, realistically, how much times have changed since the 1950s, I mean, it's pretty quick you can get to the conclusion that maybe we should look at things in a little bit different way from an investing standpoint. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, experience is the best teacher, as they say, right, Matt? Uh, and so seeing what actually works in the real world uh, is, is what obviously guides our investment decisions here at Mach 1. And on that note, <clears throat> you brought up the fact that I was talking to you earlier about how your college education was and and I'd like you to share that with me you talked talk to me about how you had let's call him an academic professor that had never been out there as an advisor in the real world and what his viewpoint of modern portfolio theory was versus one who had actually been an advisor out there yeah yeah absolutely so um 
had had an academic, you know, hundred percent strictly academic professor. Um, great guy, but he he definitely taught things by the books. You know, what the book said was is what truth was and what reality was for him. And then I had another professor, both in finance, um, that was he he actually managed client money. I mean, he was a portfolio manager, and um, I don't know all the details of what exactly what he did and stuff, but I do know he was much more open-minded and was not nearly by the books. And so, um, yeah, I think it was kind of just saying that modern portfolio theory was the one and only way to go. Yeah. He wasn't teaching it like it was gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that obviously you and I agree on this, Matt. I think the reason why the, the one who had been an advisor who had been out there in the real world and wasn't teaching modern portfolio theory as gospel is because, Probably, I'm assuming here, I don't know this professor, but I'm assuming it's because he's observed the same things that we have in the real world, which is namely that when typically when you need modern portfolio theory to work the most, and again, modern portfolio theory, very simply stated, if you boil it down, is just diversification, right, Matt? In other words, you you have the right mix of bonds and stocks and gold and, and right. stuff like that. Right. Um, and so the theory is that <clears throat> these asset classes are typically not highly correlated. In other words, uh, let's say real estate. Real estate may be doing well when maybe stocks aren't, and, or maybe bonds are, are doing well when uh, stocks aren't, or gold or some other asset class. And so if you get the mix correct in any of these different categories, you should have a stable portfolio. That's the theory. So an example that we've just been through where the tech stocks – weathered this storm fairly well where the oil stocks didn't they are not correlated they don't go in the same direction that's kind of what you're saying yeah another example is uh, i think back to the 2008 market Um, many of us can still remember that pretty vividly Uh, you think about you know what did what did uh, oil prices do back then gas prices they went way down before the 2008 crash gas prices were at over $4 a gallon. By the end of it, they were down to below two, if I remember right. Uh, stock prices, everybody remembers that one the, with the cl- crash of Lehman Brothers during 2008. Stock crashes, uh, stock prices cratered. Uh, bond prices cratered. Even gold cratered back then. So uh, uh, housing, everybody remembers that part of the 2008 crash as well. The housing market cratered. So all these asset classes they're supposed to be uncorrelated to each other, meaning they're not moving in the same direction, as you said, Mike. All these asset classes that are supposed to be uncorrelated become highly correlated when you most need diversification to protect you. When everything's falling apart, they all become highly correlated. They all move down together. Exactly. Yeah. In period, in, in times of panic or uncertainty, people just start selling stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what it is. They just get scared. And that's kind of what we, we just went through, you know, to some degree now is it doesn't matter what it is. People are just selling stuff. So those, you know, bonds and stocks can be extremely highly correlated at times. Um, and like David mentioned, oftentimes when you need it to be, you know, uh, when at the least opportune time, right? When you're expecting that bond position to provide you some safety um, is when it doesn't, right? That they're getting sold off and can get really beat up as well. So, um, and yeah, I'll, I'll say one other thing about that. You talked about how, you know, when, when markets become panicked, people, human emotion starts to take over, right? I often say there are two emotions, human emotions that drive the markets, fear and greed. That's what drives the market. And so 
you, and, and fear tends to be a more powerful emotion than greed is. People all tend to get fearful simultaneously and they all kind of stampede for the exits and they're trying to sell everything, like you said. And, um, and so, you, you know, even though you might logically know in your mind prices aren't going to go to zero, you may even have an advisor telling you, hang in there, hang tight. But it can be a lot easier said than done, obviously. There's an old saying that says, markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And so it can, even though we all know that markets won't continue to go down, we just don't know how far they'll go. And especially when we're in or near retirement, it becomes a, a frightening thing to watch account values go down. So that's why we need something to mitigate volatility in client portfolios. Well, and we just went through that here in March, right? All of the stock indices are down, way down, 30 to 50%. And then even the uh, 10-year treasury was down, all was down. So if we had a diversified portfolio, we all rode that roller coaster down. Right, absolutely. So, and, and let us be clear, we're not saying diversification in and of itself is bad, right? right or irrational. It's It's a good thing. It's a good thing, right? We want to be diversified. We do want to have money in different different asset classes, different places, different products, different stocks. Um, but we don't want to re- rely solely on you know asset class diversification as our sole source of protection, especially if 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 it's not um, structured properly, right? So you know here at Mach One we uh, we have some very unique strategies that a lot of people don't offer or don't have, um, and so. One of the big things that we use um, to provide that downside protection, that negatively correlated, um, you know, asset class, I guess you could call it, to um, our larger positions, you know, is, is, is a derivative. And so someone might ask, well, what's a derivative, right? I've never heard that word in my life. Derivatives can be multiple things. It can be um, futures. A lot of people have heard of futures, right? Maybe back when you got the newspaper, you saw the corn futures or the cotton futures and the gas futures, right? There's futures contracts out there. There's forwards, which are very similar to futures. There's also swaps, which is not, which are not as common. Um, but then there's options contracts as well. So these are kind of the four most common types of derivatives. derivatives. And we, in our portfolios, use options contracts to provide that negative correlation with our investments that help offset and truly provide that protection. So, um, David, give us an example. I know we, if you don't mind, we, we use the Walmart example a lot, right? Someone who owns Walmart stock, run us through that example real quick of how you could use a, a specifically a put option contract to protect maybe a Walmart stock position. Yeah. So you could, uh, you're not talking like a, a short position on Walmart, but a, like a Walmart put, you mean? Yeah, like yeah. a protective put. Yeah, yeah. So the the way I always explain, to me, the easiest way to explain puts is to relate them to something that you're probably already familiar with. You might have, if you've listened to our podcast for a while, you've probably even heard me compare it to uh, an insurance contract, right? So just like with an insurance contract, a put option has an expiration date, similar to how you're homeowner's insurance policy has an expiration date on it and a put option also has a a you might call it a deductible kind of like your homeowner's insurance policy has a deductible which is the maximum amount of risk you're willing to take the closest equivalent to the deductible on a put option would be what's called the strike price so if walmart's trading at around 
what are they around 130 something right 124 124 okay so let's say we had a put option on walmart stock that expires at the end of the year with a strike price of 100 then we're basically accepting pretty much all that downside risk down to that strike price of 100 now just like with an insurance contract i have to pay a premium to buy that protection so i pay the seller of the put uh, a premium an, an amount of money that gives me the right but not the obligation to sell that walmart stock back to the seller for a hundred dollars per share if my strike price was a hundred and you have to buy if you sell me that put option you have to buy that stock back from me for a hundred dollars a share no matter how low the price of that stock has dropped so that's that's why uh put options specifically can mitigate volatility in a in a portfolio because unlike stocks for example where there can be multiple winners and multiple losers right if you buy walmart and walmart goes up 20 bucks well everybody who owns walmart wins and vice versa if it goes down with with put options it's kind of a zero-sum game right there's there's a seller and a buyer on every contract and so effectively there's a effectively like a winner and a loser you might say on every contract so if you sell me a walmart put option with a 100 strike and it drops below 100 then you're losing on that contract and i'm winning and money comes out of your account to me to to make me whole right right yeah and when you think about the way people usually use modern portfolio theory and bonds it's not because they want a lower return right i mean they're not right. they're not like hey let's put half our money in bonds because we want a four percent return right. when we could get an eight it's because they think it's going to provide a level of safety so if we if we feel like stocks are a better place for to produce long-term returns, why would we not allocate to stocks and then get that level of protection using something like a derivative? A derivative, going back to the definition, it look at think of it in terms of it derives its value on another underlying asset. So if you buy a put option on Walmart stock, it it has that contract has to increase in value if Walmart stock is going down. It's directly linked and um negatively correlated to walmart stock so the more walmart goes drops below the strike price the more profitable it becomes for the buyer right exactly and we keep talking about walmart but the way this can be done though is on like a general stock portfolio maybe we're diversified into 50 different stocks right we could buy put options on um you know against an s p 500 etf or something that yeah. protects us against a broader market sell-off so if you think of it, it allows us to allocate more money to stocks if that's where we think better that's longer where, yeah. terms returns are from. I've got a great example yeah. that just came to my head. Yeah. So to your point, if you thought that the real estate market was where your best long-term returns were going to be, maybe you go out and buy a bunch of real estate. Uh, maybe you go out and buy a bunch of rental homes. But you know what else you're going to buy on those rental homes? Homeowner's insurance. A homeowner's insurance policy. So... Um, so that in case one of those homes burns down, you don't lose all that investment, right? So we're we're not betting that the, the rental homes are gonna burn down, we're just simply buying insurance protection against that loss, but we're really investing in the real estate because we think that's where the opportunity is. Well, it's the same way we manage stock portfolios. Right, right, yeah, I think, I think everyone automatically assumes um, lower risk has to come with lower returns. 
So this right. is a little bit thinking outside the box here. So right. that's what we're essentially saying is we're trying to push against that a little bit. Lower returns does not have to coincide with or lower risk does not have to coincide with lower returns. We right. can achieve superior returns while also achieving, you know, and having lower risk. So, Matt, this is all good information in the modern portfolio theory. We've said that word now about 10 times. So put it in real world, a real world example for our clients. Uh, we have one of these strategies we call equity long short. And so far this year, that strategy is up double digits. We survive we cut our losses in half on the downside during march and so now we're only down about half as much as the the market and then we took advantage of that to outperform the market on this upswing and you compare that to the s p 500 that's still in the negative right while we know there's no guarantee that this strategy will always work as intended or it has in the past in this most recent market downturn it has worked right so during the most recent downturn you know um, it's not like the stocks we own, none of them lost value, right. right? They lost value, but the but the protection, the hedge, the put options that we owned increased so much in value, it helped offset more than half of those losses. And then it gave us a ton of cash to sell those put options, reinvest, and we've outperformed on the upside. So, you know, your losses are less, you have more capital to invest when stock values are lower. Um it's a, it's a great way to invest, and it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Our goal is just to get the message out there and educate people. Well, David's got a 15-year anniversary coming up. He's been in business, and this year I think is the first time he's ever had a client send him a fruit basket <laughs> thanking him for minimizing the losses during that 32% downturn. That was fantastic. That's true. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, we – and. Truly, we did get a lot of uh, thank you cards and emails and messages from clients uh, thanking us for what a good job we've done uh, managing through this risk. But, but like you said, Matt, it's not that we're better stock pickers than anybody else. That's that's not the case at all. When the market drops thirty four percent, you're in stocks. They're going to take a beating, right? So you've got to have something different in the portfolio. Just like if if a fire sweeps through your neighborhood. Your house is probably going to take on damage. So unless you have a, unless you have a homeowner's insurance policy, you're you're going to get hurt. So we we have the philosophy that any money that you've got in the market, especially if you're in or near retirement, you really need to have that protected with a a fire insurance policy, so to speak, in case the market catches on fire. Right. And options, just to be clear, you know, options can be used in a lot of ways. Right. They can be very very complicated investment vehicles, right? We're just kind of focusing on one uh, way they can be used for downside protection in the, you know, in the, um, by buying a put option, but they can be used in There's, a lot. Of yeah, there. in fact, I'm glad you mentioned that, Matt, because one of the questions we get a lot of times, I know you've probably heard it, Matt, Mike, you probably heard it too, is, and I, I don't know if I like this idea of options because aren't options risky? Right. You hear right. that all the time. And it's true, if you use them a certain way, they can be very risky. There's a speculative way to use options, but we use them in a way that we, where we're hedging portfolios rather than, in other words, we're not, try, we're not quote unquote investing in options for gain. We're, inve- we're buying options for downside protection. Exactly. There's a big difference. Yep, exactly. So moving on real quick, as we get closer to wrapping up for today, 
Um, so we kind of talked about, you know, bonds. We don't look at bonds or maybe use bonds the way a, a lot of advisors do or a lot of people do. But we still think people should have safe money, right? They, we still think, believe, big advocates that people should have money that's not directly invested in the market, that's not, doesn't, you know, we're not advocating, hey, take all of 100% of your assets and buy stocks and then, you know, buy a put option. That's not the case. Diversification is important. Um, so, Mike, what do we, you know, what do we use and give maybe a couple examples how they can be used versus a traditional bond portfolio? Yeah, the, the annuities we use are fixed and fixed index annuities, meaning for our clients, uh, there's not a fee to them. They love that piece of it. And also, uh, there's no way for them to go down unless they take money out. So that is safe money. If you're in or near retirement, you want to have a piece of that set aside so you know you can get to it in case we have another 30% drop. So that, that's how we use it, and we can do lifetime income benefit annuities off of it as well. Right, exactly. So they can't, so they can't lose value based on market performance. Um, so whatever amount we need to have in a safe bucket, but we also want to earn better than you know bank rates or what the bank would pay us, or um, you know that's a great that's the, a great amount to look at. Is there annuity out there that you know annuities are like every other vehicle? They make perfect sense for some people. They don't make any sense for others. We use a lot, several different kinds. We think they're a great, um, you know, a great so- solution for a lot of people. There's a lot of negative stuff out there on annuities, um, but what we find typically is when a client sets down and educates themselves on what they are and how we use them, they actually become huge fans of annuities. Yeah, in fact, probably the most um, one of the most common things that I hear my clients saying now after having done this for 15 years. Uh, my longer term clients, a lot of times they're coming in for their annual reviews and they'll tell me, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. They'll tell me, David, I hear all these negative ads and commercials tell me how bad annuities are. My annuity's done great. What am I, what am I missing here? And so I think what the key is, is it all has to do with what your expectations are on the front end. If you think that your fixed or indexed annuity is going to average double digit returns, yeah, you're, you're going to be disappointed. We always tell clients expect a, maybe a hopefully a four to five percent per year average annualized return if you're talking an indexed annuity. Um, but if you think about it, for safe money, which is important as we get closer to retirement, people tend to want more of their portfolio safe. For safe money in an environment where CDs are basically at zero percent because the Fed just set rates to zero, and where stocks are highly volatile. There has to be some medium where you can have some money where you can sleep at night, not having to worry about the market and knowing that it's making better than a zero to 1% rate of return. That's where index annuities can be great. I just was doing a review this morning with a client and they, um, this last year, they happened to make five, about five and a half percent on their annuity with no risk. So that's an example of why you want, uh, why you may want to, portion of a retirement portfolio in, in, in an index annuity. And I think that, you know, we talked about one of the strategies we had that, you know, lost half what the market did. Now it's up positive where the market's still negative. And now we've talked about annuities. Where the secret sauce is, and as we three advisors, is how we create the mix for each individual. Nobody's going to be exactly the same. They're all going to be different. Some are going to have more annuities and less. But it's how we work that out with the client and give them the right mix is where the secrets come in. Yeah, Mike, that's a, that's a really important topic, and it's one that we could talk quite a while on. So we're going to actually 
touch on that next podcast when we discuss asset allocation and how we come up for um, with that solution for clients and new prospective clients. So um, we we got a question in this last week. You know, we always wrap up towards the end with a Q and A session. We always encourage people to go to our podcast tab on our website or email podcast at mock one financialcom Send us your questions. But I had a question from Ramona in St. Louis. Um, she's asking, this is this is great timing. I couldn't have teed it up any better. But she's asking about what are what are crash contracts? Yeah, uh, Ramona, good to hear from you. Thank you for uh, submitting that question. Hopefully, uh, I'll see you and your mom here in the office again soon. And uh, again, thank you for asking that question. Um, so what is a crash contract? Well, it's pretty much what we've been talking about in the first half of the program about why you want to use put options for downside protection. Remember how I was saying earlier, think of a put option as like fire insurance against a market that cashes on fire. Well, another way to say it is the way you asked the question. It's crash insurance against a market that crashes. So it's just another term for the same derivative contracts that we've been discussing in the first half of the show. So it's a great question. And um, it's what we're already doing for you Ramona that some of the some of the stuff that you've got in your portfolio right now and matter as a matter of fact yeah absolutely so great conversation um, we were all looking forward to talking about modern portfolio theory this is one we'll probably circle back to you know here in a few months or down the road get into it maybe have a guest on to talk about it so as always Mike we want to um, wrap it up with a thought of the day what do you have for us today yeah thought of the day today Matt would be investing is the age-old never-ending emotional battle between fear of the future and faith in the future. Yeah, wise words from from Mr. Frost. So have faith and not fear. Absolutely. Yeah, good words, especially in times of corona, right? Amen. So Amen. that's it for today. We appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mach-1financial.com slash disclosures.